Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Adam. And welcome to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. Before we get into the episode, make sure to follow us on social media. We are at Fly on the Wall Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can email us anytime at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. We have an exciting episode for you this week with two guests. Patty Solis Doyle served as Chief of Staff to Joe Biden during the 2008 vice presidential campaign and throughout her career has served on numerous campaigns, including Hillary Clinton's primary campaign in 2008. And Karen Finney, a former director of communications at the DNC, was a senior advisor and senior spokeswoman to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign and Tim Kaine's vice presidential campaign. We were lucky to hear from Patty and Karen at a geopolitics virtual event, focused on the deep stakes a few minutes before this episode is recorded. We're excited to continue the conversation about the 2020 vice presidential pick. Patty and Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. As high-level political strategists, you've been uh, both been in the room where the sausage gets made, um, as people say. So obviously there are countless factors that go into the decision, but in your experience, what's the first factor operatives consider when choosing a vice presidential pick? Um, I'll go. It, it's, I don't know if there is a first factor that is across the board the first factor. I think each candidate is different, but I can talk about the various factors. There's obviously there's political factors. You know, can this person bring me a state? Can this person bring me a particular constituency that I don't already have? Can this person um, uh, bring me a particular demographic that I don't already have? And then there's the um, chemistry factor. Do I like this person? Can I govern with this person for four years, right? Can I, can I, <laughs> it's kind of like a marriage. Uh, can I, can I do this for four years with this person? And then there's the governing um, uh, side, uh, which is um, what am I good at? What do I know I can do? And what am I missing? What do I need to be able to accomplish everything that I think the next four years are going to look like if I win. So there, there's a variety of factors. And I don't know whether one outweighs the other, depending on that particular political year. But the one thing that across the board, any nominee has to consider is, can this person do the job if it comes to it? If you know something should happen to me, can this person do the job? Yeah, I, I agree with that part 100%. And I agree with everything Patty said. What I would add that is uh, a little bit different uh, this time, although I think to some degree Barack Obama faced this when he, when selecting Joe Biden for vice president and Hillary Clinton for secretary of state is what role do I see this person playing in governing based on what I currently know I'm going to be facing if I win? So if you think about January 2021, you know, I think we all hope that we are in an economic recovery. We don't know. We know that there will be, you know, that, that the economy is going to be a huge task. Um, our healthcare systems, I think we've realized some huge gaping holes that really have put lives at risk that need to be dealt with. Um, and COVID will still be an issue and how we, we don't know yet where we will be 
in terms of a vaccine, in terms of testing and all of those things. Um, and then, you know, in the aftermath of George Floyd, I think some very serious issues that have been, you know, re-raised and put on the table. And so if you're Vice President Biden, you're one thing, way to think about this is, what role do I need this person to play? It could be, for example, okay, I feel like I've got the hill covered and I'm good in, I can do the foreign policy. I really need somebody who can go out into the States and help sell this. Or maybe it's, you know, I, you know, I can, I'll sell it. I'm going to focus on solving the problems and I want my vice president to be on the hill working with members of Congress. So I think part of what's unique in this time, I mean, you're, I think the person is always thinking about, um, you know, strengths and weaknesses, as Patty said, and what can they help me with that I'm, uh, you know, they have a strength where I might have a weakness. I think in this instance, it's really a matter of also thinking who, what role can they play based on what I know at this moment, and heaven knows what else could come up, has to, has to get done, and where are those strengths of that person? Right, so when you're talking about thinking through the decision, are you talking about the Democratic Party thinking it through, the presidential candidate, his campaign staff? Who kind of makes that decision, and what criteria do they uh, really mark as red flags? Um, so the campaign, uh, and Patty, obviously, who was uh, chief of staff to Vice President Biden's uh, VP campaign, can, can correct me if I'm wrong and obviously speak to this. You know, it's really the presidential nominee, and they um, have a team around them uh, who is going to assist in the process. And in that process, they look at everything, right? I mean, it is you really have to be willing to, you know, lift up your dress and show everything. <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but that is literally what this process is. And, you know, as, in as much, and I think to their credit, they're trying to keep it confidential. Part of the reason you keep it confidential is to protect the people who are being considered. You certainly wouldn't want to do political damage to someone if something comes out in the course of a process that could be harmful. So it's everything from their finances, uh, their past voting record, their governing record, if they've, let's say they've been a mayor or a governor or their senator, what, are the, what do those votes look like? You're really looking for um, thematically, what story does that tell you? And then you're also looking for where could there be potential problems? You're looking at speeches, interviews, social media feeds, um, which takes a tremendous amount of time to, you know, determine. And then this sort of, um, you know, committee kind of does an assessment that they then share with the candidate. But ultimately, I think Patty would agree, the candidate is the final decider because as she said, you've got to govern with this person. So you're the one who has to make that decision. Yeah, I, I, I don't have much to add other than um, the selection committee uh, really puts forth a list of names in uh, conjunction with the candidate and the campaign. And then they don't really make a recommendation. They just sort of say, here's what this person's done, here are their cons, here are their pros. And then the candidate and his inner circle really sort of um, make the decision. And in terms of the confidentiality, it, yes, it's important because um, to protect those people who are on the list, but also, this is in, 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 in politics, 
this is the biggest unveil of an election, right? Whoever the, the, the VP nominee is going to be. I mean, it is like cloak and dagger, you know, in the dark of night, you want to unveil it so it doesn't get out because it is, it is one of the, the, the few moments in an election cycle where you just get media saturation, like complete media saturation is when you unveil who your VP is going to be. Um, and so you don't really talk to a lot, a lot of people. You'll listen, people will give you your advice, but you sort of try and keep it within a very, very small number of people. So what level of communication then um, is there between the potential vice presidential picks and both the nominee, him or herself, and the campaign? Do you mean prior to them being announced? Or? I mean, are there like job interviews or is it sort of you know, cloaked in behind the scenes and they just find out a couple of days before, or even the day of, that they're going to be the, nominee, uh, the vice presidential nominee? So in 08, when I worked in Biden, it was Barack Obama, David Axelrod, David Plouffe, those were the three, and then the people on the on the selection committee, uh, the people doing the vetting. Um, Obama himself interviewed uh, each of the candidates again in the dark of night. <laughs> Even putting that schedule together, right? It, it doesn't say, "Oh, I'm meeting with Joe Biden today." <laughs> it says, you know, downtime, or he's getting a cup of coffee at a hotel. You know, but it's it's. It's very cloak and dagger. It, and it's also, I mean, it, and think about it for the perspective of the, the nominee, potentially. I mean, you know, in Tim Kaine's case, he had three adult children, one of whom I believe, I'm pretty sure was deployed at the time this was going on, one who was in Virginia and another one who lives in a totally different state. So that person, you know, also is negotiating that. So yes, they interviewed directly with the candidate, but then when they're notified, I mean, they're given very specific instructions about how to then notify who they can tell and when they can tell, because again, keeping it a secret with the goal of trying to have this one big exciting announcement uh, is really paramount. So for the, for the candidate themselves, it's really nerve wracking because you're trying to, you know, at some point you've got your own considerations about like, can I tell my spouse? <laughs> you know? And at the previous Georgetown event, you mentioned, um, well, in previous uh, campaigns there, the, camp the presidential campaign itself is preparing to have potentially four people. There's four media rollouts, for you know, people on planes on the tarmac. And I'm wondering what sort of effect does that have in the campaign on morale, you know, just trying to prepare that sort of huge undertaking of potentially unrolling and unveiling a vice presidential candidate? Oh, I had a blast. <laughs> I mean, I, I, first of all, I love campaigns and I love politics and people who work on presidential campaigns love campaigns and love politics. So I had a blast. It was a ton of work. Did we work 20 hours a day trying to get ready? And, and uh, absolutely. But it was, it was fun. I mean, we were just sort of all thinking, okay, one of these people is going to be the next vice president of the United States. How cool is that? So I think, um, and did, did some of us have our favorites? And did we have our own sort of like, who do you think it's going to be? Who do you think it's? Uh, of course. But that only makes it more fun. Um, um, so I thought, I thought the, the way that the Obama campaign did it in 08 was actually quite 
brilliant uh, because it really sort of enforced the fact that they were going to um, uh, ensure that it was going to be the Obama strategy and not the the Biden strategy or the, you know, it, we were going to get it all set up and this person was just going to walk in and and follow follow the rollout. Yeah. You know, I will tell you in 2016, um, and I did mention this at the, the Georgetown event, you know, it was down to a couple of people. It was Tim Kaine and one other person who I won't name just for their, <laughs> for their sake. I don't want them, they should, I don't want them to find out from this, from me that they might have been a finalist, but, um, and you know, the, the sort of everybody, you know, internally, everybody's trying to, like Patty said, we're all trying to figure it out ourselves. And at a point I remember just thinking like, you know what, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, I'm, I'll be on a plane with this person because I at that point knew I was going to work for whoever the nominee was. And I just thought I'm just, I'm making myself crazy trying to figure it out. So, so like Hillary will decide when she's ready. Um, so, but it, like Patty said, it's, it's actually kind of fun. You've both talked a lot about uh, what it's been like in the past and what the process is, but as we know, 2020 has been nothing like the past so far, uh, and Joe Biden has already made an unprecedented choice to narrow the field to only women. So among everything unprecedented about 2020, uh, he's also facing those sorts of challenges. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that's been like and how that changes his, uh, his decision making? Sure. I think, um, you know, look, I think that Vice President Biden has, I mean, certainly by saying he's going to select a woman, he knows, I mean, there's a lot of research, Patty and I both have worked for, obviously we worked for Hillary Clinton, I've worked for a number of uh, female candidates, understanding the unique challenges that female candidates face on the campaign trail. And so I think understanding that that has to be part of the considerations of what a rollout is going to look like. Um, because in particular because you know this we are presenting someone who could hold the top job and that is you know the highest executive level position in this country so part of it is understanding the unique challenges and opportunities around that um i think also because of covid you're not likely to see you know usually there's the big um you know rally and it's exciting and it probably we're not going to probably see that so they're having to think about other ways to uh both roll this person out and then how you're going to use that person i mean this person becomes kind of the key surrogate for the nominee and for the you know for the ticket i suspect you'll see this person doing a lot of what joe biden is doing and that is you know video zoom what have you events with different constituents group with different groups of people fundraising that way, television interviews. There certainly will be, I think, an opportunity to see the two of the Vice President Biden and whoever he selects in joint interviews. I certainly also hope they'll do uh, local interviews. I think that's really important, you know, radio and television, you know, and all the biggies like 60 Minutes and The View and, um, you know, all the, the big shows where you want to, because this, you, you know, it's an unprecedented moment of uh, press attention. So you really want to get everything you can out of it and be prepared across platforms, you know, whether that's, you know, online, on the airwaves, you know, print, it's still alive. I know it's dying. <laughs> it's still, alive. you know, how you touch all of those platforms. So there's some unique considerations for the Biden campaign this time around because, you know, we have to use tools that we normally use a little differently.
Yeah, you know, when I um, ran uh, Biden in 08, um, there were three, there, there, traditionally a uh, presidential election is about the nominee and then about the ticket. It's, there are only really three moments in a presidential election where it's about the VP nominee. That is the announcement of that VP, the debate between the two VP nominees, and then the convention speech by that nominee. And in the, those three specific events, we don't know how it's going to be, right? Like the, the convention is going to be uh, much smaller than we had thought. It's going to be a, have a lot of virtual aspects. So how is that going to affect the VP's nominee's speech? Is it going to be much more subdued? Because at a convention, obviously, you're reacting from the people on the convention floor and the applause and the excitement. So how is that going to affect his speech? How are they going to do debates? We, we, we don't know. You know, uh, I think there was one debate uh, during the primary season in this pandemic, and it was done in a new studio without an audience. So is that going to be the format moving forward? Again, that really does affect your performance because you are, you know, feeding off an audience. Um, and then the announcement speech. Uh, we talked about this uh, in, in the event, uh, in the panel earlier. You know, normally you have a big an announcement, a rally, you get on an airplane with the, with, the, with the candidate and you hit the top markets and then you split off and you hit, you know, the, the smaller markets and then the, the spouses come in. You know, we don't know if they're gonna be able to do that. So it's gonna be a lot of uh, creative, creative scheduling um, and creative media rollouts. The other, the last thing I'll just mention is I think part of what also makes this unique in this moment is um, COVID obviously uh, and what that has meant for our country and will mean for our country. And, and again, putting forward um, a rollout where you are reassuring the American people that this is the team that will that can handle this crisis and that will uh, reunify the country. I think certainly in the, and Patty and I talked about this in the event, in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder and the, uh, the protests that we've seen across the country, which have been remarkable uh, in the light of COVID and so diverse and people from all walks of life and all backgrounds joining in to call for real meaningful change. I think that also has to put some pressure on the vice president Vice President Biden, in terms of who he thinks about is the right, as the right person in this moment uh, in our history uh, as the not as his nominee, and how that person will help him very specifically, given um, and you know who knows where we'll be in January, as I just said before, but certainly knowing that we've got a lot on the table here, how do you speak to the moment um, that we're in? Well, how do you personally, um, Karen, hope that? The Biden campaign speaks to this moment after the protests. Yeah, well, I'm part of a group of women who we sent an open letter to uh, Vice President Biden. Um, gosh, in March, before you know uh, the George Floyd murder, um, and our argument was black and female. We were very intentional and not. We ended up having over 200. The letter is now up to over 500 women who signed from academia. Uh, faith leaders, activists, business women, you name it. Um, and, you know, 
we believe that it is time for a black woman. Uh, black women are the, you know, people like to say the backbone of the party. I don't love that phrase, but point is rep recognizing the importance that black women and the black vote have played both for Joe Biden and for the Democratic Party. Um, you know, Barack Obama can't just have been a one-off. It has to be our future. And so I would like to see Vice President Biden pick a black woman and, and speak to the moment in, in, in large measure because these women are all qualified, uh, the ones who, who have been mentioned and are in consideration, but the, the importance of uplifting the very direct experience of black people in this country to that level, and particularly women, you know, all the studies show when you lift the, you know, you lift the, a black woman, everybody rises actually, right? It's good for all, all around. So um, I'm hoping it's a black woman and I've been very public about that. And I think Patty agrees with me. Um, I, I do agree. I do agree. I, I, I was as firm, uh, I'll be as firm now as I was in the event prior. I think it is a dereliction of duty on Joe Biden's uh, part if he does not pick a woman of color. Um, I think, that's who we are as a country. That's where we're headed. We are um, a nation of black people and brown people. And, um, you know, as a white male candidate, I, I think he is duty bound to pick a person of color. Absolutely. And what's been mentioned in the event before and in the common news media is, is talk about, um, Kamala Harris and other qualified candidates, but also Elizabeth Warren and how she might um, reach out to the progressive side of the party. And obviously she's not African-American. Where do you see that line between um, someone who might bridge the gap to progressives versus uh, playing off the current moment? I'll, I'll take it. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Warren. I am a huge fan of Bernie Sanders. Um, I think there is something to be said about reaching out to the progressive wing of the party um, when you are someone like Joe Biden, who is, you know, much more in the um, moderate uh, camp. Um, but there are there are pros and cons to every choice and for elizabeth warren specifically um she there is a republican we talked about this in the event there's a republican governor in the state of massachusetts and we can't afford to lose that senate seat we just we just cannot we have to win back the senate and there's a much greater chance of that happening now than there was even you know three weeks ago um so i think that's something that um, the Biden campaign needs to seriously consider. But there are other ways to um, reach out to the progressive wing of, of the party. And I, you know, I give Bernie Sanders a lot of credit. You know, he is full-throatedly endorsed uh, Joe Biden. He has told his supporters, this is, this is the most important election of our lifetime. It's either Joe Biden or it's Donald Trump. And so we have to support Joe Biden. And I think Joe Biden has done a very good job in terms of reaching out um, uh, on the platform committee for the DNC in very, across the board on all of the issues. He has made sure that the progressive, you know, progressives have a seat at the table whether it's healthcare, whether it's the economy, whether it's immigration, like 
across the board. So, um, you know, maybe not the, 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 the VP, but certainly there's a cabinet to fill. And I think <laughs> Joe Biden will be quite open to filling it with some progressives. Yeah, I mean, look, I would hope that progressives would, I, you know, I would see the selection of a black woman, any of the women or woman of color, I, personally, like I said, I'm for a black woman, but would see any of these women as part of the progressive movement in towards of moving our country forward into the future, acknowledging that we are a majority minority country, that, our, that, this, that, that we are part of the face, the changing face of this country and the, and the dynamics of uh, power in this country. Uh, I think you can't undervalue that. Um, and I agree with Patty, I give um, Senator Sanders incredible credit for the work that he's done and has said he will continue to do to help make sure that Biden, and I assume that he you know, will be also for the vice presidential nominee. And I think Patty's exactly right. I mean, there are, are a number of ways to make clear to the progressive community that, and the progressive wing that, you know, we share your values, we will, we care about these issues and, and, and you know, we will continue to work on some of these issues. The last thing I'll say on this, though, I think we have to also recognize, and we don't talk about this near enough, the next four years are going to be a lot about digging out of um, both the where we are right now in terms of, you know, COVID and the economy, but also there are a lot of things that Democrats and progressives care about that Trump, the Trump presidency has undone. Environmental regulations, uh, you know, civil rights um, regulations. So there's a whole host of things that also Vice President Biden and his team will have to take a look, like the Paris Accords is the kind of number one on my mind in terms of looking at both domestically and internationally agreements and policies that, you know, that the president himself can undo and, and make some changes. Um, so that's going to be a huge part of this job. And I, there's a lot for progressives uh, in that as well for all of us, frankly. So I have a question that I know is um, on my mind, and I think it's probably on a lot of voters' minds, and that's that um, the vice president, their first job is to be prepared to step in as president. You know, God forbid there's an emergency of some kind. And nominee Joe Biden, um, if he does end up getting elected, will be the oldest president, and he would end his first term at age 82. And a lot of people, have speculated that he would only run for one term or be a one-term president. And I'm wondering, how does that reality or just that assumption or discussion affect the process of choosing a vice presidential candidate in this um, campaign in particular? I think, I think whether, sorry about that, I think whether you're 77 or 37, that is the number one criteria, is, is this person prepared to take on the job should something happen to me, um, period, end of story. So uh, of course it is affecting the Joe Biden and his team's decision-making, but it would affect anybody's decision-making. It is, it, is, it is the number one criteria. And if you pass that criteria, then you can get into the would this person bring me a state? You know, will this person bring me women voters? Well, but you got to you got to cross that hurdle first. Period. End of story. On top of that, I think you know, Adam. The other piece of this is so the, if the person passes that criteria, 
you know, Vice President Biden himself has said he wants the person to, it, that it's about the future, right? And so the hope is that this person, if Vice President Biden wins and then decides he's only going to serve one term, which you never want to say that at the beginning of the term because politically then everybody will see you as a lame duck. So of course, we, you know, that's why you're going to continue to hear people be a little coy about that. But the idea should be and will be that the vice president will then whoever he selects to be his vice president will then have, you know, four years of on the job experience and then run for election in four years at a coming from a, you know, a very unique place of having been the vice president. Um, I think that that's the hope. And that is certainly, I think, part of what he's factoring in is, is he said he's thinking about the future. Thinking about the future, and this is just going to put you on the spot a little bit, but if you had to make a prediction right now on who Joe Biden will choose, what is your predicted choice? And then what would your ideal choice be? Um, my predicted choice is Kamala Harris. I think um, for a number of reasons, the most important reason is the reason that um, Karen outlined just a few moments ago and, and we both outlined earlier in the earlier event is we are in a moment um, in our country where um, given, you know, not just the, the, the George Floyd murder, although it has really, that moment has, has um, created a movement across the country. But politically speaking, for Joe Biden, I'm going to be really honest, after New Hampshire, after Nevada, I thought he was done for. I thought like, okay, <laughs> it ain't going to be Joe Biden. But then with no money spent in any of the Super Tuesday states, without ever having set foot in some of these Super Tuesday states, he ran the board. He came back from after I had written him off, and a lot of people in the Democratic Party had written him off, and because of African-American voters. And you know what? He owes it. <laughs> he owes it to them, period, end of the story. So um, I think Kamala Harris is, pro is my prediction. Who is, like, if I, if I had my choice of anybody ever, you know, I, I think it would be Hillary Clinton right now. <laughs> I just think she's worked so hard and she'd be so good at it. And I just love her. So I, I have to say, I kind of agree on that one. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on people. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> and I mean, you know, one thing I will say about Hillary as a, as a sidebar to this, you know, she is really uniquely responsible for all of so many women stepping up to run in 2018. Yeah. And quite frankly, I think her candidacy in 2016 is the reason we are in a place where we're considering, you know, where Biden knew early on he had to say, it's going to be a woman um, because the country is there. For me, you know, as I said in the earlier event, since I'm part of the black and female movement, I, I won't give a specific name, but I, I feel very strongly it should be a black woman. And I think the question is, how could you not um, select a, a black woman? Um, you know, I think, and I say that without disparaging any of the other women who are being considered, because I think they're all wonderful, but the historic relationship, the historic role that Black Americans have played in this country and the suffering and the sacrifice um, 
and then as, as part of the Democratic Party. And yes, we delivered uh, for Joe Biden. So uh, on a whole host of levels, uh, he owes and the party really owes. Uh, and, and again, I think this, this is a moment, history, I feel like history is kind of, you know, said, come on guys, get it right. You know, I'm, t I'm giving you all the proof, <laughs> all the evidence to, to, to show you how important this moment is. Um, I, yeah, I would say Hillary would be, my, you know, if it could be, um, you know, maybe second to Hillary, it would be Michelle Obama. I know she would never do it, but she's so kick-ass that that would just be fantastic. So those would be mine. And then after we elect a, a black woman, we have to elect a Hispanic woman. Yes, yes, yes. And then, and then I can die a happy woman. That's right, that's right. But it's gotta be, this goes to something that Patty said before. I mean, these selections, whether we're talking about the top of the ticket or the vice president, we've got to get to the point where it's not such a unique thing, right? I mean, there was so much hope when President Obama was elected and, you know, young, there are young people who grew up not realizing a black man couldn't be president. You know, I want that for all kids to think that, to believe that no matter, you know, what race you are, what your background is, what your sexual orientation is, that you too, you're just as viable as a, not a candidate as anybody else. Well, Karen and Patty, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast and to take the time to come to Georgetown virtually for the event earlier. Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great questions, you guys. Really yeah. appreciate your conversation. Actually, really you should do the next moderating. Take the <laughs> out and you should do it. Don't tell them we said that. <laughs> <laughs> but have a great 4th of July weekend. And thank, thank you so much. You. you too, guys. Take care. Bye. Thank you again to Patty and Karen for joining us on the podcast for this episode today. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Fly on the Wall Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you have comments or questions, please email us flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com.